Brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tomes Amazon and DD Classics affiliate links. Hi, this is Monty Cook, designer of Numenera, and you're listening to the Tome. Welcome to the Tome Show, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm Jeff Greiner, and in this episode, number 245, we're going to look back on this year in gaming and talk about the D&D products, tools, tricks, and experiences that made this year great. And joining us to reminisce about this year are some sweet storytellers. Uh, So first up, we have Susan Morris. Hi. We also have Aaron Evans. Hi, guys. And Tom Lommel. Oh. Tom Lommel. You got it. So sit back and join us by the virtual fireplace while we tell our tales of gaming bliss. So, uh, should, should we let people know who uh, Susan, Aaron, and Tom are in case they've been living under a rock? Um, and, and so they understand everybody's pedigree here? Yeah, I think that would be a good start. So Susan, I think this is the first time you've ever been on the show. Who the, yeah, heck, are, who the heck are you? So I was the editor of the Forgotten Realms books at Wizards of the Coast for a long time. I still freelance edit for them. I designed D&D for kids, wrote uh, four middle grade fantasy books, um, and I wrote a column for Amazon called Writers Don't Cry about how to write. I also, uh, my current project Sci-Fi Horror, not for kids, and I've been DMing my homebrew campaign for just over a year now, my current one. And when you say we, edit, editing D&D books, you're talking about the novels, right? Yeah, developmental so, editing on the novels. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then let's go over to Aaron, who I think is the veteran uh, guest of the show uh, of this bunch, huh? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long Tom, how many times Tom's been on, but I've been on a couple times. So, uh, I'm Aaron M. Evans. I'm the author of the Brimstone Angels series for Forgotten Realms, and I play D and D. I actually play in Susan's game, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> so we'll get an yeah, interesting perspective <laughs> from both sides of the screen tonight. And, I also live tweet our games if, yeah. uh, if people follow me on Twitter. And Tom, you've been on once before, I think. I think I've been on once, and I think my alter ego. Uh, yeah, I uh, think we did both. <laughs> Bill Cavalier, the Dungeon Bastard, was on previously as well. So I don't know, one and a half times? I don't know what that yeah, means. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So uh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a longtime gamer, a uh, uh, longtime fan of the hobby um and uh i also i've done a couple different uh web related uh projects or web-based projects uh, that are related to rpgs um i write and star and tweet as uh bill cavalier the dungeon bastard who 
sometimes gives good uh, gaming advice and sometimes gives over-the-top horrible gaming advice. And uh, I was also uh, in a property called Fear of Girls, which uh, has had a, a, a come-and-go kind of uh, flirtation with the internet. So, Sweet. So uh, I think the first one we'll start off with uh, is best D&D product of the year. I feel like it's going to be a little uh, difficult because this is the year that 5th edition came out. Uh, so let's start with Susan. So I'm a fan, I mean, obviously, of the 5e rule books. That's the campaign. Um, I'm playing my campaign in 5e. Uh, and one of the reasons is I feel like there's an emphasis on personal choice and dramatic situations in this version. For instance, I love the wizard ability over channel, which allows you to use it once for free, but then subsequent times you have to take substantial necrotic damage. I feel like in some games it would just be, oh, that's a daily. You know, you can use it once. But in this game, they've kind of made it your Hail Mary. Like, it's super dramatic, something that encourages teamwork. And I really love that. So you're, you're going you're gonna to cheat and just take all the 5e core books, huh? <laughs> Let's say, okay, so in terms of, I, I always have a soft spot for monster manuals, but... Let's go with players because I haven't finished reading the D- new DMG yet. Okay, I'm still well, going you, off the play test. And your example is is from the the players too, so I yes, suppose that's fair. exactly. All so right. players is what I'll go with. Great, Jeff, do you want to go next? Sure. Uh, my pick of the year for D and D product is the, actually the starter set. Um, I think it's a great sort of game in a box at, at a price that's going to be good for getting getting people. Uh, and in my mind, always goes to kids because I teach middle school. Um, so I, I mean, this is the kind of thing where I could very easily see myself uh, running, you know, running a D and D after school club, uh, and which I've done in the past, uh, and then at the end of it saying, "Hey, you know, I went out and spent twenty bucks. Here's a box. You guys can keep playing after you've moved on and are no longer in in the school." You know, um, and and I really like the adventure, like the, the that little adventure that's in the starter set. Uh, I think I like that adventure more than any other 5e or pre 5e, um, you know, those sort of build up playtest adventures. I think this is the best one. That was the best one I've, I've seen. So I go with the the starter set. Cool. How about you, Aaron? Uh, I have I have two. One that's a little more serious, and one that's personal and a little silly. Um, I want to say the player's handbook because it's it's I mean it's been really fun to work with to like to use in the game and. Um, there's just a lot of interesting options. I'm in love with the trinkets table. I don't even know what oh, to do with it, but it's fantastic. Um, obviously, I really love that there are excerpts from my novels in there, although that's kind of a, a I'm slightly biased in that case. But I do think there's a nice emphasis on trying to get into the skin of your character and thinking about them as, you know, a well-rounded person and not just sort of a collection of attributes. Um, but has, my other has, choice- that, has that played out at your table? Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, our, <laughs> uh, we, we play in a game where Susan presents us with complicated moral choices and then we make dirty jokes about them. Um, but it works out, right? So it, it's, it's fun. And I think that, you know, you, you get presented with, um, you know, like one of our characters, one of the players is a dragonborn ranger. And in the, in the homebrew that we play in, the dragonborn were created, um, when, chemical warfare sort of was used against dragon eggs. So his parents basically flew off and left him and, and the rest of the clutch to fend for themselves. So he's got like a thing about dragons that's sort of more complicated than just like, they have treasure, I want to kill them. Hmm. But then there are other dragon women in the world who are like, you know, we could emulate dragons and it would be awesome. So in interacting with that sort of scenario, you know, it gets, it gets interesting. Um, but again, it's not, we don't play really serious, like 
we, we then got into a discussion about whether or not he had genitals and um, how he would go about <laughs> procreating if he did, because nobody would ever know how, like, he would have nobody to model after because he's a genetic freak. Because <laughs> he's so into romance novels. That's true. That's the other thing. Is like one of our first encounters, he, he picked up a romance novel off a of guard and just we were giving him, you know, trouble about it. And he just ran with it. And so now we, we hunt for romance novels for Zambed. And he'll be like... There's I've some, already had that one. There's something about Aaron Evans and, and chat books, you know? Yeah. What can I say? I just I just encourage everybody to, to run with what they're passionate about. Good. My other answer, though, is um, the the Dungeon board game. They mm. the, A re-release mm. of it came out this year. Um, and I got a copy because they made Farida one of the characters you can play as. So they're, they're all characters. All the characters are, well, most of them anyway, are... are from adventures and uh, from novels. Dritzt is in there, Caddy Breeze in there, Jaroxel's in there, Storm's in there, um, Istabal from The Sundering. Uh, and I, I say this because my son found it, and it is his favorite thing in the universe. And every single day I play at least two games of Dungeon, um, which is better than Candyland by absolutely, a lot. Absolutely. That's a really good um, choice. I didn't even and, think about that. And now my son knows the names of... Uh, my three-year-old knows the names of a lot of D&D monsters. <laughs> He'll pull out the card and be like, it's a Dwagger! You have to roll a seven! Um, so I'm, a, I'm kind of sick of it, but again, it's a lot better than Candyland. Mm-hmm. I can't really vouch for it as a total game because it, we've house-rolled it so a three-year-old can play it. So mm, yeah, sure. um, that version is quite boring. <laughs> <laughs> but it's beautiful. It looks really nice. Yeah. So how about you, Tom? Uh, you know, I have a couple of different nominees. Um, uh, I really struggled to kind of pick between the DMG and the Monster Manual because uh, when I started, uh, you know, I was in the alpha playtest and stuff, so I, I got a sneak peek at some of the stuff. And when I saw the galleys, you know, the the alpha material that they released for the Monster Manual, I was just blown away because. I'm used to a kind of a, a book that gives you details about monsters, but does it like tells you facts about monsters, but doesn't necessarily tell you anything about the monster, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it'll be like, you know, this dragon lives in the high crags of the mountains and likes to, you know, you know, weighs two and a half tons and can grow to be as big as 26 feet tall, which like tells you physical facts about the thing, but did not tell you anything about like the personality, it didn't put any personality into the creature. And, and uh, you know, I saw early on, and I feel like it got fulfilled uh, in the final release, that the flavor of what's in the Monster Manual now just not only breathes life into the creature, but also, like, is it an amazing DM aid just because every monster tells you exactly how they could play into your campaign. You know, there's there's... There's a flavor and there's a point of view for every single monster that's not just necessarily like, why is this thing so physically imposing or why is it a particularly deadly challenge? But really kind of like, like where in the story do you fit these guys in? And I really, like, I just love, love, love the Monster Manual. Um, and the flip side of that is I also love the DMG. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm kind of a nut for all of those. I mean... You know, uh, Susan brought up the trinkets table, and and I'm like, yes, like like having those sorts of little kind of inspiring resources at your fingertips to kind of goad your imagination into into coming up with something that's that's different than your kind of tired ideas that you've had before. I really appreciate that sort of stuff. 
So I, I don't know. I'm going to give the edge to the monster manual, um, but I, I'm, I'm really, I'm in love with the DMG too. Um, you know, the, the, the other thing I'll bring up is like, I really want to applaud uh, or at least highlight the free rules download that's available mm -hmm. on the Wizards mm -hmm. website. So for people, you know, especially they're trying to introduce a whole new addition to people. There was a big, long, protracted pro, uh, play test that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people really engaged with, but then maybe kind of like drifted away. Like, okay, well, what what got changed? What kind of came out in the wash? I, I you know, I give them big props for putting a very playable, you know, core set of rules out there for anybody to just download and check out for free. I, yeah, I want to see more. That is really cool. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome. All right, so we did the D&D &D product of the year. Uh, I think the next one we kind of already got into a little bit, well, maybe. Tracy, Tracy, we didn't hear yours. Yeah, didn't yours we? didn't come up. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to ask questions for this one. She's, she's you... trying to cheat and be the, cheat and be the moderator. It's okay. Her, her answer's fire in the blood. We don't have to put her on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that would be on my list if I could get it from Audible at this point. Oh, well, you should get an Audible spokesperson on your show and grill him about that. Uh, I should. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like the, the starter set a lot, too. And I'm really loving the DMG, particularly the... I forget what term they use, but the advanced tech sort of thing, where you mm. can just really go all out in your game and bring in things that aren't necessarily typical to D&D games. Your, uh, uh, what was that adventure um, with the spaceship? Expedition to the Barrier yeah, Peaks. Yeah, Barrier Peaks. Uh, yeah. It's, it's that sort of stuff, right? The, the laser pistols and, and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, we kind of, I think, sort of touched on this a little bit, but what was your best game session of the year? And we'll start with Jeff. All right, so my best game session of the year, and this is going to be weird because I'm the the D and D guy, right? Uh, but my best game session of the year was when I ran a game uh, of Fate using Mike Shea's uh, scenario called Aeon Wave. Uh, my players were blown away by it; they they really loved it. It was fantastically great. It was a, it was a great introduction, not only a great story and a, and a really uh, change of pace from what we were used to as as normally being a D and D group. Uh, it was a one-night one, one night session, uh, and it was just sort of everything fell together exactly the way it needed to. And I had just enough support and enough story in there to, to play it out uh, and really had a good time with it. And my players walked away like, wow, that was a great session, and I felt good about it. And, and so then we decided, wow, I, I want to do some more with this Fate thing. And so I put together this other Fate thing interacting with the, with the Forgotten Realms uh, and going back to our old campaign. And that one just sort of completely fell apart because I did it instead of Mike doing it and, and Mike being brilliant and, and me not. Um, but Aeon Wave was was by far, I think, the best session I had this year. Sweet. Um, how about you, Susan? So uh, mine has a little backstory in that I wrote this one mini arc for my campaign based on those murder mystery birthday party things meant for like 30 or 50 people. Um, and it lasted about three sessions. And it was great because the players really got into like interacting with the different NPCs, digging into their personal lives, figuring out like what the social <laughs> stuff was, the virtues and vices. So anyway, that's the backstory. They're very familiar with them about, I mean, at least 12 hours talking to them. So I sent them away on a side mission. And on the mission, they learned a critical piece of information and they had to race back to the tower where these people are. Um, and during that time, things had gone to bad for from bad to worse. Uh, during the murder mystery, they'd accidentally let out a monstrosity, this dark weaver that had been frozen in time and sealed beneath the tower because it was too powerful to kill. Um, they'd managed to bar its way temporarily, but in their absence, it had gotten out. 
And uh, to make matters worse, the force wall that contained it um, had fallen apart. They had to put it back together. I just want to be clear when she says they, I was not a part of that. (laughs) (laughs) So they have to, you play a very good character. So they had to put back the um, force wall together. So that's solving a puzzle, right? It was a visual puzzle they had to do. But also they had to sneak into the tower where the monstrosity was, the Dark Weaver, and recover the device that charges the soul stones. And what was awesome about this, in retrospect, is that because they were so incredibly familiar with the tower and its people, every detail, every change meant more. So when, like, the smell of rot hit in the dining room, they knew the people who might be dead. And when the ground beneath the door to the Avery was, like, blackened with blood, and they heard, like, some skittering and flapping, they knew what had happened. And rents in a metal door that were, like, as if they'd been melted, you know, they get clues. And uh, whenever the Dark Weaver got closer, things would start happening round by round. Like, first the insects would all fall to the floor, and then they'd slowly rise up, and darkness would thicken like smoke. And it was actually so effective that one character jumped out of a window preemptively. Um, (laughs) And the rest would not go back in for any reason, even after they'd escaped, even though they were offered more gold to go back in and get something. Um, And so I felt really happy with how engaged they were. And I really do think it's because we'd spent so long with these people in this place that they they already knew it really well. Now, as awesome as that sounded, did you say that they talked to the same NPCs for 12 hours? That was actually my second choice for best. um, (laughs) Because that is an incredibly long time to talk to NPCs. Yeah, there was a murder mystery. We had to know what happened. (laughs) It was a cast of 18 people. And the thing about these murder mystery birthday parties is they have these incredible personalities that are incredibly distinct and very interesting backstories. And so you get these, they really wanted to keep talking to them. Like they would have talked longer if I'd let them. Like was it 12 hours in real time? Yeah, 12 hours of real time, three game sessions. Three game sessions of just talking to these NPCs at a, at a murder mystery uh, birthday party. It's is- not a murder mystery birthday party. It's based yeah. on the concepts that you use in murder <laughs> mystery birthday parties. Ah. And, and to be fair, part of that was when we went down in the room with the cursed stuff and found the Dark Weaver. And that, right. I mean, I mean, it wasn't a huge happen. part. Okay, it was still a lot talking to NPCs. I just think that's amazing. And she does, like, you know, voices for them. Oh, no, that, I, I imagine that was incredible. I, it's, it's amazing. Oh, the funniest thing. They react so strongly. I basically emulated Mia from um, The Last Airbender. And the like, she's, like, the uh, in the Fire Nation. And she's got, like, this really dead, flat tone. Mm-hmm. And Shop speaks, girl. like, models. <laughs> speaks, like, <laughs> monosyllabically. And they react so strongly. They kept going back to talk to her more, even though she was just, like, it's, a freaking shopkeeper. Was, well, part of it is... <laughs> And she sounds like she knows something. She just does. <laughs> it was the best. So I found like... Spoiler having, alert, she does not know anything. <laughs> <laughs> having strong characters, I think, can really help develop how much the people care about it, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> to the point where I kind of want to tell you guys all about these NPCs. <laughs> like Micah, who is the worst... Or the aspiring romance novelist who spies on, on everyone. Who's scrying mirror and then writes about what they're doing in their bedrooms. <laughs> and uh, the love triangle, which did involve Micah. The, the and the laughing powder. And the laughing powder. I think I think we need to have interesting people. I think we need to have a whole advice episode with just Susan and Aaron going through how how do you put together (laughs) such an adventure? Because I kind of want to run that now. (laughs) Yeah. So so what Jeff doesn't know because I really wanted Susan and Aaron in particular on here because we had shared stories when I visited Seattle. I was like, I need to hear more about these. This Mm. seems like the perfect. (laughs) When you came, were we going on about how Micah was the worst, or was that? I don't really remember. I don't know. That went on for so long though. 
Yeah, that, that was, was like, but Micah was bad for so long. <laughs> Micah's still there. He can still be horrible to you. <laughs> but I feel like we found someone who was worse than Micah, but I don't remember who. <laughs> so, so Tom, what's your best? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, follow that up, Tom. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's fine. Um, you know, I guess uh, I, I I ran uh, kind of I ran my campaign to its giant finale. Um, so. Uh, you know, through the throughout the playtesting process, I kind of had the premise that these characters were fighting the first um, battle against the Temple of Elemental Evil. Like, if you pick up the module, um, the first thing they talk about in the first paragraph is, you know, nine years ago there was a big battle with Prince Thrommel and the forces of Furiandi against, you know, the evil members of the temple. And we've never really actually ever explored that history. And so I decided to use that as the premise for my for my uh, ongoing campaign was, you know, to, to let's play that out and see what that what that how that history. We know that it ended with, you know, the temple being defeated. But like, let's play that out. Um, and so I had a real fun and interesting time. Um, you know, once the rules got re- released here, um, you know, in the fall and, and in August and whatnot, kind of bringing the campaign to the clo- to a close. And it was fun to kind of just get to pack in some epic moments where St. Cuthbert shows up and they're, you know, they're fighting, you know, demon queens. And, um, you know, they really like took it to like an extra planar level where they're they're on the plane of shadow. And I threw in a whole bunch of kind of like kooky um ideas that I've just sort of put them in keeping in my back pocket as a DM for years upon years and finally decided to burn them up. Um, and it's hard for me to kind of isolate one moment from that, which is great. Um, you know, which I could use as a real teaching moment. Um, it, it's kind of been an ongoing process where I've learned a lot of things. Um, so I'm going to kind of actually dish rag that say that was fun. That was, I had a lot of fun with that game and I ran some games at conventions that I had a lot of fun, but the, the best session of the year for me was uh, I began dating the woman who is now my wife, and I was visiting her up in Calgary, and uh, it was Sunday morning, and we were walking the dog, and uh, I was like, well, you know, what's, you know, I got to get on the plane later tonight, but, um, you know, what do you want to do today? Kind of, what are you, what are you thinking? And uh, she's like, well, um... I I bought this download called uh, How to Host a Dungeon, and I was thinking, since it's the 40th anniversary of Dungeons & Dragons this weekend, maybe we could go home and sit down with a big sheaf of gra- graph paper, and we could make a dungeon together. Aww, so, that's super sweet. Uh, that was my gaming session of the year. So. And then you knew it was love. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there is, uh, you know, I, I guess I, I, I never was that person who was like, all of our interests and hobbies, you know, whoever I'm looking for, we have to have all of our interests and hobbies that ma- match up. I don't necessarily like 100% believe in that, but I do feel like like when somebody at least understands and embraces the uh, you know the odd and interesting things that you you indulge in, it really it it makes your relationship that much stronger, I guess. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, that was that was my best gaming session of the year. Does character death also make it stronger? 
Well, you know, here's the thing. Yeah, fast forward to whatever, like X number of months later, she rolled up a uh, fifth level druid who had then proceeded to murder in a pretty unfair, hideous manner. Heartless. Heartless. <laughs> Somebody, somebody's listening. Um, yes, yes. I, I absolutely TPK'd her character uh, through uh, a bad DM judgment call and also some, some bad dice luck. Uh, and yet we are still married to this day. So is Li- is Lindsay in the room? Well, sometimes. Oh, okay, I said we should put some headphones on her, and, and she could join in. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we'd love to be on sometime. Yeah, we'll, definitely. We'll have to do an episode on 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 gaming relationships. Look at this, where you have episodes spawning episodes. It's gay. That's awesome. <laughs> so, Erin, what's your story? Oh, um, so. I think my favorite is still uh, a story that I might have already told, but um, we, it was, so in the game, we were chasing these uh, robbers and, and we ended up being ported into the spirit world and the spirit folks came up to us and let us know that the robbers were also unicorn poachers and uh, they wanted our help. So they were the, sort of a plan hatched to the spirit folk will attack the tower and we'll sneak in and we'll get the unicorn horns because then the unicorns will be horrible undead creatures. And we don't want that. Um, and, and to help us, they said, oh, you know, we're going to give you these spirit berries and we can't tell you what they're going to do because we don't know. And they, you don't know whether or not they're going to be permanent. And, and I start going, oh, percentile dice because I have an unhealthy... Um, joy involved with percentile dice i should know better because it it doesn't really bode that well but um i got very excited but then instead um susan pulls out this bowl full of jelly bellies and says these are the spirit berries pick one so you picked a a berry and uh you ate it and then you tell her what flavor it is and she rifles through her notes and then she tells you you know oh that was the which was not fun because I picked like the vomit flavored one because there were birdie pots <laughs> in there. Um, you were imbued with the powers of the spirit of the jellyfish. Um, you get, cons- I think I got concealment and um, my touch did like 1d4 damage because I grew fingers, like tentacles. Yeah. I ha- oh, that was it. I had, yeah, I had like long tentacle hands for a period of time and then I rolled some percentile dice, which did determine that no, I was not going to be stuck with those jellyfish fingers forever. Um, but the, the trouble is I play a, a lawful good paladin who probably wouldn't be mucking around with that stuff. And I, I immediately went, I have got to figure out some oh, way to justify this because I need to eat these spirit berries. And everybody at the table got so excited about this that um, the wizard actually talked to spirit folk and used his bluff and convinced them that we should have extra berries just in case. So some <laughs> of us are still carrying these around. We fed one to a carrier pigeon and turned it into a part wolf carrier pigeon. Permanently. Permanently. It did not roll well. His name is Poopsmith. We're training him to, <laughs> to crap people on command. But it was this this thing that was so unexpected, you know, it was this sort of twist to the game. And this is what I love about the game I play in is that Susan does a, a really good job of bringing in things that are fun, that are, um, you know, we, we still play fun encounters and we still do things that are you know, what you expect from D&D, but then she'll bring in these weird little twists or these little puzzles. We had one where she came out with this play thing she'd made that looked like a maze. And then we found this scroll that, that was backwards. And so we had to like hold it up to the light and read it through. And it's this riddle 
about these this alchemist kit that we find, and she like pulls a scarf off a table, and here are all these tiny bottles. And we have to pour the little bottles into the holes in the maze, and they all blend together, and then it starts glowing because she's painstakingly like. If you do it right, and the different parts glow differently. It still glowed. It was still really cool. No, I mean, it could have fizzed up if you did the wrong ingredients. That's true. You're right. It was, <laughs> if you did it wrong, it was going to fizz up like a, like a volcano. You put a lot of work into that. <laughs> it really does, right? I feel guilty. I have so, so much fun thought. doing it. And then, what, and then what if they get it wrong and you're like, oh, I designed this holy cool thing. And Well, that's the thing is there were, there were effects. For, it, could go, it could glow different colors. It could glow blue, white, or red. And it could also um, fizz up if they did it wrong. So there was an actual visceral reaction if they did it wrong. It's a good thing she knows us well enough because there's a chance with some players they're like, mm, no, nah, I'm going to go find some monsters. Like, <laughs> I, don't wanna, I don't care about Alchemist Kit. Well, I found real quick that you guys are puzzle solvers. That's like one <laughs> like, of the things you guys love most. Let's <laughs> Puzzles, randomness, and people talking. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. So I feel Susan, like... Oh, I, oh, I just had a quick question. Susan, do you ever feel... Do you ever... How do you walk that fine line of... You know, whenever I'm creating a puzzle, I always find ways that I could make it too hard kind of inadvertently. Mm-hmm. Like... Do you have any tips or like I like how how what's your approach to like when you're creating a puzzle type scenario? Because it's easy to find stuff on the internet that's like, okay, well you change the hashtag, you know, change the hash key twice, and all of a sudden you've got this completely unsolvable thing when you're sitting at the table. Yeah, I do actually. I put a lot of thought into it. First of all, like for some of them, um, for instance, I have this one puzzle coming up that um, they're cur- they currently have on table, so it's not like a secret. But uh, I'm using the cool circuits in order to. It's. Ba- I'll go into more detail later, but it's basically a crystal lock, and they have to put it together. And so basically, that one, since it's already a ready-made puzzle, I just solved it myself to see how fast I could do it. Um, and I figured with like five of them, surely they can solve it faster than I could, but I, I mean, it was still like under a minute. So I figured that was fine in terms of creating my own puzzles like that. Um, I have the top level, but if they, there are always things they can do to make it easier. For instance, for the, um, for the alchemy one, they could research, uh, alchemy, different parts of alchemy in order to get hints and clues and everything. Um, there are always things that, uh, and for the visual one, like they researched, um, it was putting together the soul crystals. It, they could research the soul forging, which was in a book they'd found inside the tower, in order to figure out some clues, like it has to be symmetrical and the power source is in the middle and things like that. So um, basically I have levels. So if they're having a hard time, they can always do more to figure it out instead of just being stumped. I try not to do things that I think have no way to do levels. So I'm really careful with riddles not to make them too hard because that would just suck. Yeah, I feel like riddles is like almost kind of the classic trap there where you all just end up staring at each other until the DM finally just goes, well, just make an intelligence check. And that <laughs> yeah, all feels I try- like it. Yeah, I do a fair number of riddles, but I try and make them riddles that like will make people feel smart because they've probably heard them at some point. Um, I think the point of puzzles is to challenge them, but also to make people feel rewarded for being smart. So I try and build them that way. Yeah, and riddles always have that extra, um, how much am I challenging the players versus how much am I pl- challenging the characters uh, question to, to deal with it. Well, that's well, why so. there's always the levels too, right. right? Yeah. But I think it's important to engage the players because 
that's what gets that immersion. Like when they have puzzles, they engage more, right? And it's also important to know what types of puzzles different people solve well. For instance, the visual one I put in, because my husband, who's playing D&D the first time, he's a video gamer, um, was feeling like he wasn't good at puzzles because he couldn't do any of like the riddle or word ones fast enough. And so other people were doing them. And Mm -hmm. I know he's really good at geometry. (laughs) So I know he's really good at geometry and I know he's really good at visual things. So I I designed a visual puzzle that I thought he'd be good at. And it was perfect for him because actually other people were struggling and then he was able to solve it and he felt really good about himself. And that I think is kind of the ideal thing is recognizing what clicks for different players. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, I want to come out to Seattle and play your game now, too. <laughs> <laughs> I have the best time with it. It's, it's a really a, a good place to stretch your creativity. Definitely. Um, so I feel like I, I might get Mike Shane mad at me if I didn't say that my best game session of the year was playing in his uh, fate version of Tome of Horrors. At Gen Con. At Gen Con? Yeah. That was pretty awesome, even though I was incredibly tired. <laughs> <laughs> and we were at the same table, weren't we? Yep. I thought so, yeah. Yeah, so that was pretty good for me. Although uh, I was the jerk that sided with a Sarek at the end. Ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Well, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what, so what makes the Fate version, you know, what was the distinguishing, you know, difference there of the fate version of Tomb of Horrors versus the straight up, you know, AD&D version? Um, it felt like it was a little more cinematic. I don't know. I haven't played the straight up D&D version, so mm. uh, that's probably a failure on my part, and I will hang my head in shame. But, uh, yeah, no, it was just, it seemed to be a little more cinematic to me uh, when we were playing. What did you think, Jeff? Yeah, fate's a lot less focused on the, the hack and slashiness of, of the situation, whereas original... Tomb of Horrors, you know, is, um, you know, it's more of a challenge. It's more of a of a, uh, a tactical challenge, I guess. You know, uh, is the original. Whereas the Fate version is more of a, hey, we're going to tell this crazy story, and there's going to be intrigue, and we're going to, you know, um, there's going to be opportunities for backstabbing each other, and we don't quite understand what why we're all here, or whether or not we trust each other, and because you know, and it was literally that situation because it was a bunch of plate people that had literally you know just gotten into town um, in, in Indianapolis for Gen Con, and it was the night before or whatever, and, and we were all sort of still you know either jet lagged or tired from a twelve hour drive or whatever, and and we don't know each other, and it's like oh well, Mike put us all together, so I guess we'll play a game together, and we don't actually know if we can trust each other or who these people are, and and, and so it all sort of plays out more. Or story driven um, instead of uh, combat, I guess driven. Although there was definitely combat, but even the combat was um, in fate style a little more story focused, right? It wasn't, you know, there was no like the big final fight when the two different tables uh, all came together into one spot. Um, there was no way anybody could attack and hurt a Sarak. Like it, it was impossible. His defenses were too high. There was no way to to hit the guy, and except. Everybody else sort of had to stack on all these bonuses so that yeah. the one guy could have a shot at it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and there were all these story elements: is you know, well, I'm doing this to, to get, you know, um, you know, I'm tweaking this thing, or I'm doing this thing, or, or you had to build in all these sort of concepts to to make that happen. Yeah, that was one of the things I really liked about it. And also, uh, I love the fact that we just started smashing orbs, which I don't think I would have done if it was a game. <laughs> What's that? I don't know. Smash it. Smash it. <laughs> Which of the colors would you like to smash? I don't know. Orange. <laughs> so, um, uh, speaking of like 
bringing in different things, uh, different types of game systems and, and mixing and matching, what do you think was the best source of inspiration you had this year? And uh, we'll start with Tom. The best source of inspiration that I had this year? Um, you know, I, I think it probably goes back to, um, I guess it goes back to my players were my best source of inspiration, um, which I, I don't know, maybe that feels like a cheat, but uh, uh, one of the things that happened in my campaign was I decided to give them wishes oh. and to see, you know, what they would do with them and, and then what kind of like, what sort of results and complications would come out of that. And so, you know, I definitely had cool ideas of things that I had always wanted to explore in my D&D game. You know, I wanted to go to the Plain of Limbo and encounter Gith Yankee and, you know, and uh, introduce some Lovecraftian madness type elements. And I, I could do all that, but you also, like, have to, like, I really learned a lot from just listening to my players, like, what they responded to, what hooks they 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 grabbed onto, what questions they had at the end of the session. And some of it is just a matter of, like, you know, laying stuff out there and then watching who's engaged and what's going on. Mm -hmm. So, so I guess, yes, I had this whole, you know, background of like, I could, you know, there's tons of stuff you can Google on Greyhawk and I've played, you know, the, you know, return to the temple of elemental evil. And I had the original temple of elemental evil that I'd played partially through. And, and I had all this source material to work with and my own DMing dreams and ideas. But I think they, they're, they're, it's kind of meaningless if, if they're not feeding into what, what your players want. So, uh, yeah, my best source of inspiration, um, was, was number one, my players. The other thing I will say is like, I learned a tremendous amount about DMing from, uh, Lindsay introduced me to, uh, both dungeon world and danger patrol. And those games are so narrative and require not only improvisation but player input in improvisation that that like between those three things it really like had a dramatic effect on on my DMing style this year. Awesome. Uh, how about you, Aaron? Uh, the, so the question's a little tricky because I don't DM. Um, we were talking. You can be I do. inspired I do. as a character and. and um, I, I, it's hard to say because I don't know what I've, I don't know what I've pulled in for my character because it's, it's not something I put that much, I'm kind of going with the flow. So what Susan tells me, I go, oh, I want to use that or this, right? Um, but I did start, so the, the rest of that story is I, I, I want to DM. Um, I haven't been successful at it in the past because I'm a super control freak. Uh, but my son who I mentioned before, uh, hates that I go and play D&D &D, uh, and, and leave him here. And he wants to come play too. So one day I got tired of him asking and I said, okay, we're playing D&D. &D. What kind of character do you want to play? Do you want to be um, an elf? And an elf is like this. Do you want to be a, a human like you are? Do you want to be a tiefling like Farida? And so he made up a character that he calls Issy the tiefling fighter. And so uh, this is like my, my baby steps of DMing is that I tell him this story and he... Um, he tells me what he wants to do and it's, it's fun because he'll kind of push me in directions. I, I'm mm -hmm. not expecting, I'll set things up for him and he'll be like, I don't want to do that. It's like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'll roll in a different direction. I'll think of this, like, okay, you're in this dungeon and it will look like this. Okay. And we get to this room and there's like something is sh like shooting the, 
I don't know, the dirty laundry or something out the window. It's, um, and he decides he wants to climb in and get shot out the window. I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay. You shot out the window and what happens next? And it's nice because it, it is sort of, you know, the ultimate experiment in letting in not being in control. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can like steer that story really hard. And then I have a screaming three-year-old on my hands. Um, so that's been kind of fun and kind of a, a nice inspiration. And I will, I will not lie to you. There is one, there was one thing I described to him in the game that I ended up going, damn, that's actually really cool. I might use that in a book. Uh, which was sort of a surprise to me too. <laughs> I love reading your stories about you and your son. <laughs> he's kind of a nut. He's he's mad at me because I had to come out here because we were playing dungeon and I was like, okay, mommy has to go do an interview. Um, and he's like, no, if you go, who'll play Dryaxel? <laughs> like, don't know, dude. Talk to daddy. <laughs> <laughs> He will never let me play Farida. He, if I want to play Farida, then he wants to play Farida. So. <laughs> I, I, re- I recently ran a game for kids, and one of the observations that I took away from it, which was interesting versus uh, gaming with adults, is that because they have no filter, like whenever you're doing something boring, like th- the kids will either just walk away from the table or like you instantly know. You know, yeah. you know it's, it's not like uh, like like if you put a, a puzzle out there that doesn't necessarily grab everybody's interest, a bunch of adults will kind of like clamp down and clench their jaws and kind of like polite their way through it. But a, a 10 year old and I'm sure even more so a three year old is just like, no, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you know, when you're doing a good job and you know, when you, you really know when you're not doing a good job. The three-year-old will say, no, I want to hear more about the inns. I want you to tell me what all the inns are like and what they have for breakfast. And that's the adventure now, Mommy. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. I remember when I got my, my oldest son started with his first D&D session. I think he was six. I think we, we held off that long. and uh, I believe he played a character named Elfie. Uh, <laughs> and we told the, told the story about Elfie taking on some bullies out on the playground. Aww. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, Susan, Susan, how about you? So, I was looking over the sources of inspiration this year. I do think players are a big part. I have to agree uh, with Tom. But also, I found I took a lot of inspiration from books, video games, anime, the murder mystery thing, and board games. Um, Probably the most concrete source was, there's this game called Adara, and it's for the Windows tablet. And that's the only place I think you can find it. But and I just love it. It's only going to have one season. It's probably. I mean, it had one season. It's probably never going to get another. But it reminds me of the old Space Quest games. Um, so anyway, it has a lot of puzzles in it, but incorporated in a way that makes sense in the world rather than just having them shoehorned in. And one of the puzzles is it has these crystal circuit-like things that have been shattered that need to repair uh, before you can do whatever it is that you have to do with them. For instance, open a door or power something. Uh, and so when I saw the Cool Circuits game, which is available on ThinkGeek, uh, I was so excited to put it in my own game, since one of the ancient extinct civilizations that's kind of been inspired by Elder Scrolls and Adara uses this magic that steals souls from creatures and channels them using crystal circuitry to, among more dramatic things like Power Warforged, also open doors. Um, and, my, you know, since my players like puzzles and we were headed into a ruin, uh, one of their ruins right now, I thought that would be a really good fit. And so the puzzle became the shattered crystal lock of this huge monster of a door. And I hid the pieces of the puzzle throughout the dungeon. For, uh, there's a story as to why they're hid throughout the dungeon, but I can't disclose that in front of my player. <laughs> um, no, go for and, it. Come on. <laughs> and the thing I like 
about it is it both encourages exploration uh, and it also kind of underlines which bits are important for them to remember. And, you know, there are reasons why the pieces are where they are. Uh, so it's, it's information as well as just getting the pieces to a puzzle. Awesome. Yeah. And how about you, Jeff? All right. Well, I'm going to go. So I'm going to go with a novel series, actually. Um, and, uh, and I'm sorry, Aaron, it's not uh, a Brimstone Angels novel. <laughs> Um, but because see, here's what here's what what's happened this year. Uh, this school year, I've started bringing taking my son with me to to my school because his school is across the street. So he comes with me, hangs out with me in the morning, and then walks across the street to his school. Uh, and so because that we've been doing that new experience, I can't listen to the normal stuff that I listen to because it's not all um, eight year old friendly. Uh, and so we've started listening to audiobooks together, and one of the books that I really enjoyed that we've listened to together is called The Kane Chronicles, which is a Rick Riordan, who's probably more famous for the Percy Jackson series. Uh, so The Kane Chronicles um, I really grabbed my, my imagination in several ways, and as I'm listening to it, I'm imagining and creating a whole D&D campaign set in the Forgotten Realms about bringing back the Mulharandi gods uh, mm. in, in, at the end of the Sundering sort of sort of thing. Uh, and so I've really sort of built up this whole concept, this whole campaign concept in my mind, where the characters st- actually start off on the fugue plane as dead spirits, but they're going to um, be given an opportunity to return to the world and uh, are approached by these gods, you know, to basically say, hey, we we want to tag along with your spirits and kind of sneak our way back into the realms. Um, all sort of based on this idea of from the Cain Chronicles, where in the first book, um, the Egyptian gods are sort of released from, from prisons and secretly sort of um, embed themselves within some of the main characters. So um, that, that was my big source of inspiration. I really enjoyed uh, listening to or those books. And so. Awesome. Uh, so the next one, uh, we have his best game accessory used or discovered this year, and I was gonna go with Aaron first. But do you have one? Like I don't actually. I I, I was going to actually. That was what I was gonna say dungeon, just because it was it wasn't a, the D and D product, and I forgot that that was a separate question. <laughs> Can I say here? I'm looking at I'm looking at one. The Dungeons and Dragons Collector's Edition minis, particularly Farina Tiefling Warlock. But no, genuinely, I think these the minis with the um, look really nice. The the resin ones from uh, Gale Force Nine. Oh, okay. They've, I have not yet painted one, but I've never painted a mini before, so yeah, I kind of yeah. think I, I ought to take pictures and put it on my blog. Um, See, I've always, I, I always have issues with those, right? Because they look great, but I'm not a painter, like, and I don't need another hobby. I so- see. I have. I actually. Fun fact: I have a fine arts minor, um, and I did have a, a a big part of that was painting. So. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if I still have any skills left. <laughs> and how much of that transfers over to miniatures, right? Right. Cool. Yeah, I, I want to give that mini to you. Um, how about you, Tom? You know, I have I have a couple different ideas, I guess. Um, uh, one thing that I've really embraced this year is campaign coins, the uh, the, the fake fantasy money mm. um, created by uh, by campaign coins the guys uh over in australia they're really like number one they're just fundamentally great guys but the uh just having those uh pieces of metal they have some heft to them like having them in your hand i, I guess maybe it just it, it i don't know if it triggers my little nerd obsessions or whatever to have something tactile to have something to fidget with while i'm sitting and thinking about what's going on or whatever um or they just make great tokens for like tracking inspiration and stuff like that i play in uh i've started playing in the D&D Adventurers League on Wednesday nights at my local game shop. 
And like having a cool token like that really kind of like adds a little something special to the game without having to make a huge investment in, you know, uh, 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 you know, like what, whether it's a, you know, a box of a giant box of minis or, or whatever. So I, I really like them. Um, the two other things that kind of like, I, I think are cool gaming accessories in a very kind of loose, well, one specific. So I think RPG chat on Thursdays is just an invaluable source of uh, advice and insight from like across the spectrum of people on Twitter who are involved in uh, in D and D and role playing games. So like uh, if you if you do a search for hashtag RPG Chat, you can find like a different uh, uh, topic. Generally every week. Uh, sometimes you know things come up. It ends up being two or three times a month. But uh, like Twitter. Is you know one of the reasons that I'm even talking to all of you guys, right? Is just like having a presence on Twitter. And I was thinking to myself, what's the best way to get something out of that? And I think RPG Chat is like a great place if you're new to Twitter and you want some ideas about what's going on in the world of gaming. Like that's definitely one place to start. Um, and then finally, just kind of like my own personal uh, nerd, uh, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't I don't feel like I'm unique in this, but uh, JetPens.com has a variety of notebooks and pens and accessories and pencil cases that make great dice bags. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, I love maps. I love uh, graph paper. I really feel like, you know, the tactile things that are attached to our hobby really make a difference. The dice and the paper and the pencils and stuff like that. Like, like it would not be an interesting game to me if it wasn't for the literally the pen and paper part of of the hobby. Um, and so, uh, like, if I was going to recommend one site to, like, go indulge in your in your uh, stationary nerdiness, I think JetPens would be the place that I would send people. Um, I like the stuff Jet? that you're... you're like J-E-T? J-E-T, JetPens.com. They, okay. they have a focus on Japanese stuff. Um, also, if you have a local uh, Blick Arts supply store, um, that's also a great place to go and look. But, you know, uh, I like Rodeo Notebooks, and I could just nerd out for, like three hours about the different uh different notebooks and implements that i have at my disposal but uh but yeah those are kind of just three three things like kind of from from most specific to kind of most general of of stuff that i i really consider part of my, my little gaming arsenal awesome uh and, and how about you susan so a couple um one thing i did that i really enjoy seeing implemented is that i got these um fancy notebooks that I decided to make for spell books for all the characters who have spells. Uh, and this was back in the playtest, so I just like printed out and pasted in the spells they had. And so when they learn new spells, they're literally taping in a new spell. Um, and then there's these little like um, like tabs that they mark on the top of the paper to show which spells they have memorized so then they can take them off when they're not memorized anymore. Um, and so we're going to try and get the spell cards that they have out for 5th edition to try and upgrade that so I'm not like painstakingly photocopying or like handwriting. Uh, and I, I think that really adds an element. And, um, but the other thing, the, I think like using the jelly beans, using the cool circuits puzzle, um, I have some other puzzles that like I bought pieces of, I think that really adds to kind of the interactiveness. And honestly, for my number one one I've used, this isn't, it's expensive, but I backed the Dwarven Forge Caverns this year. Oh, and nice. it's really amazing. Like I got it for the like one year anniversary of the game. I was so excited that we managed you know, new games, new games are tender and things, right? <laughs> and so being able to get it to last a year and have everyone still excited to play, 
So it was really fun. And I think it really adds a level. Everyone's engagement definitely increased with it, I think. But it's spendy, so. Yeah. I love Dwarven Forge stuff. It's so yeah, fantastic. Th- it's like D&D meets a really amazing dollhouse. And the Kickstarter dollhouse. is such a good deal. <laughs> Yeah, and playing with it's like Legos. It's amazing. All the different shapes you can make. Yeah, Dwarven Forge has always been one of those things where it's like, man, I I wish I had the 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 disposable income in space to get into Dwarven Forge. You know, one of the great things about the new Dwarvenite Dwarven Forge stuff is that I I, I backed it at the unpainted level, so I just have the the regular you know unfinished pieces. Mm-hmm. But you can you literally. Have me over, I might be able to paint them. We don't know yet, but I might. <laughs> Let's. I would love to have a painting party. We should have a miniatures painting party. Uh, I, I backed the. Uh, I backed the Reaper Bones uh, Kickstarter's both of both years that 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 does, that's been out, and uh, I have many many abominable snow uh, adventurers that need. <laughs> so, but I was just going to say the great thing about the Dwarvenite stuff is like in one of their Kickstarter videos, they literally ran a piece over with a truck. Um, yeah, so like. You know, when you talk about like, do I have the space to store it? Like, you can throw it in a duffel bag and not worry about <laughs> it cracking and chipping off. And you know, like those pieces are really rugged. Um, it's it's gone from like, oh, do I have this? Pre-, you know, I, one of my inhibitions about it was the same as yours. Do I have this precious space to store this thing that that seems kind of fragile um, and delicate? And now it's you know, I just I literally throw them in a tote bag and drag them around and drop them and stuff. It's cheaper too. The new Dwarvenite. Uh, see, I, see I, and I've sort of, uh, I sort of wrote it off years ago and haven't come, really gone back and investigated it, so maybe I should. Yeah, if you go to Gen Con this year, talk there to There you go, there you go. Uh, that could be your next year's pick. What's this year's pick for you, Jeff? My pick for this year is my uh, brown pleather uh, beholder dice bag. And I, I posted a link in the chat there if anybody wants to take a look at it. But uh, there is a, an Etsy store called The Adventurer's Kit that creates uh, beholder dice bags where the opening, the zipper for it is actually the mouth of the beholder. Oh, so, cool. So the, cool. Yeah, so the one I have, you know, they, it's the, the pink fabric zipper, and so it actually looks like the gums and then, and then the teeth of the <laughs> zipper are its teeth. And, um, and, then, and then you have the choice of do you want the buttons on the eye stalks or do you want the googly eyes? And so, of course, I want the googly eyes. And so it's got all these little googly eye tentacles, and I open it up, and he vomits out my, my dice every, every uh, weekend when we're about to start our session. Uh, it's it's great fun, and I just loved bringing that up to the to the table the first you know the first time I had it. It's like, hey guys, look at this! Bam, giant beholder! Oh yeah, and it's dice. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I want one now. <laughs> <laughs> and they got the brown pleather back. I mean, they had all the other uh, you know fun colors and whatever, but I wanted the brown pleather because it looks like an actual beholder. You know, mm. that's sort of, to, in my mind, what the actual beholder would look like with the texture and all that. So I wanted that one and, and I got like one of the last ones before before she ran out. Uh, but now apparently she has more because I see that they're available on her on her Etsy store again. So I'm pretty sure it's a her. Great. Uh, so we're down to the last question. Uh, what, what are you looking forward to most in the next year of your gaming life? And we'll start with Susan. 
So for me, it's seeing what direction the campaign's going to take. Because the choices the characters are going to have to start making real soon are going to determine what kind of campaign it ultimately turns into. Like, it could be a revolution. It could be a defense of the empire against the recent enemy of the dragons. Or they could put that aside and urge everyone to work together for the defense of the living against the more ancient threat of the undead. I mean, there's so many ways they could take it. And I'm super curious as to where they're going to go and where their allegiances will lie. Because the party presently has pretty divided allegiances. Also, Hopefully I want more monster manuals. On where is the loot? <laughs> Some <laughs> we'll more than others, happens. though. <laughs> that is true. That's so true. I'm just saying that's sort of the that's our our connecting yes. um, aspect. That's that's what we definitely agree on. But for the loot independent moral questions, <laughs> right? That's what, exactly. That's what's going yeah. to be the problem. Yeah. Right? So, uh, and how about you, Aaron? Uh, I think. Uh, I am most looking forward to slash terrified of. Uh, I am going to be a guest at GameholeCon this year. Um, and as part of that, they want me to run a game. And I said, do you, you know, I, I know I work with D&D, but I don't run games. Um, I The last time I did it, I treated everybody like they were a character in my novel. And I wouldn't let them do things because their decisions were stupid. And mine were better. And so I'm a terrible DM. Don't You don't want people to play. And, and But... Nobody will believe me on this because this was a long time ago, and so I should be better now. But uh, I am committed to uh, doing better and to learning because I agreed to go, and so I will be running a game there for the very first time. Yay! <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> I, I, have, I have been to their con uh, both, both years that they've had it. They're, they're going into their third year now, and, uh, and it's really uh, a fantastic... Uh, experience just to kind of it's, it's a lot more intimate than yeah. something like Gen Con but you get you know like they brought in Ed Greenwood last year and like you could actually sign up and game with Ed Greenwood and stuff like that it's it's uh, really professionally run and a terrific uh, experience if you've got if you're in the Midwest and you're around in uh, November uh, I really I can't recommend it enough it's a combination of kind of Old school guys like Frank Menser and Ernie Gygax, and and they brought in Luke Gygax this year, um, and Ed Greenwood, and then also you know kind of new people, new school people like Chris Perkins, and obviously Aaron, you'll be there too. Yeah. So so I'm it's really kind of the web- absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> I, I would be I happy. Where's it at? <laughs> it is in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. It's generally like the first or second weekend in November. Um, but it's you know it's drivable from Chicago or Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that that kind of area, and uh, for a a small con that's just you know in its its early formative years, they really put up, put together per, a professional effort. Sweet. Um, so, what do you think? Thank looking? you for making my answer even better. That's a lot of fantastic <laughs> information. I like it. Well, I'm hoping I'm hoping to be there, so uh, I'm I'm planning to be there. So I hope we get to hang out and do some gaming and uh, and socializing. Yeah. And if it's I a, panic a, and I don't know what to do, you can tell me. <laughs> well, but the the question is, will he be dressed up as Bill Cavalier at the time? Because then the answer is pretty much always just kill him, right? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, Bill, Bill Cavalier is a player's advocate, so he doesn't That's necessarily true. always. He, he will call you on being a garbage player, but he won't necessarily kill you for it. <laughs> uh, if he does, he'll resurrect you just so he can continue torturing you about what an awful there you go. player. <laughs> so. so um, yeah, I, I guess one of the things that I'm looking forward to this year is number one, switching from uh, a, a DMing role to kind of a player role in my campaign. I guess one of the best things I can say about Fifth is 
we got done with the playtesting process and two different guys in my group, you know, came up and were like, Hey, when, so, so, so now that the books are out, when is your campaign wrapping up? You know, when, 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 when are you going to, when are you going to, when are you going to get things, when are you going to get done? And I'm like, what's, what, what is the hurry here? Like, um, am I doing something wrong? And I'm like, why, why do you, you know, uh, probably two or three weeks. Well, like, what do you, what, what's the deal? Well, I got an idea for something that I want to run. So, you know, despite, uh, you know, despite going through multiple iter iterations of rules and, and, uh, you know, some of the uh, trials and hazards of playtesting, like they wanted to continue playing uh, 5e. So I'm happy to like turn the reins over to somebody. One of the players in my group, we're going to make 20th level characters and we're going to, uh, over the uh, mini arc of like three or four sessions, uh, battle the Tarrasque. So nice. uh, that, that's <laughs> looking forward to. Um, the flip side of that is, uh, it's funny that you brought up the, the modern laser weapons and whatnot, because I'm going to try and run a kind of a bi-monthly campaign, uh, leading up to and including the expedition to the barrier peaks. Hmm. So I'll be converting that from its original AD and D, uh, uh, crustacean kind of form into the uh, sleek shining stuff that, that is 5e now. So I'm looking forward to running that with my, uh, my wife and my friends. So well, in preparation for your Tarasque game, make sure you listen to the Tarasque take takedown episodes we have on the feed. Uh, Mike Shea and, uh, James Intricaso, and then got together with some other guys decided to test out high level play in, in 5e, 5e. And so they did a, a short, what, two or three session, um, uh, you know, uh, online game where they were taking on things like the Tarrasque and giant undead, super powerful, legendary beholders and, you know, um, ancient. Didn't they, do one on, didn't they do one on Tiamat? Or yeah. Not? And then afterwards, they, after they finished all that, they're like, hey, let, now, now we have stats for Tiamat. Let's do one with Tiamat, too. So they've done like three or four of them now. Uh, and then we they did it they they did it live. They did it on they released it on YouTube. And then we also have the audio up on on the Tome Show feed. So. Cool, cool. I, I I checked out. I think I might have checked out part. Well, I'm sure I checked out part of the Tarasque one. One of the things that I'm worried about is I know that our DM has made quote unquote some alterations. So, <laughs> well, Tarasque seems tough enough as is. So. You think? You think? Uh, I'm planning to play a dwarven barbarian. I have to be true to my uh, my web alter ego. <laughs> Although your web alter ego might enjoy the, uh, they discovered that the um, the druid has unlimited hit points. <laughs> yeah, the, the druid gets a little weird. Um, my 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 primary tactic is going to be to find some sort of armor that gives me acid resistance, and then to actually dive into the gullet and try and do as much damage as I can <laughs> from internally. the internally. I figured out that you're probably safer to be inside the Tarrasque than to be outside of the Tarrasque. <laughs> that may be. <laughs> And Jeff, what are you looking forward to? Uh, so my, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheat a little bit, and I'm gonna say story. Right? There's so many things where um, not only does fifth edition as a game support story, and I've and I've managed to, um, like Tom is getting ready to do, I've managed recently to uh, sit on the other side of the of the screen as a player uh, recently, and I think that'll continue on for several months, which is also nice as I've started a PhD program to give me time um, to do everything I need to do. Um, so I so I'm enjoying the story from that perspective now, but I'm also like I'm finding. In in third and fourth edition, I was always excited to get new options, and 
now I think the things that I the things that I'm looking forward to most is what's the next story going to be? You know, Tyranny of Dragons is 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 uh, reaching its conclusion, and and so what what's going to be next? Like we have this little bit of information, then what's going to be after that, and who's going to work on it, and uh, you know what who are they going to license it out to or whatever, right? And so there's a lot of things going on there that we have little pieces of, and and I have some little hints of what's going on there. There's just a lot of story that I want to get into, and I want to know what's going to happen next in in the novel line, you know, which I know a couple people here probably know something about right um but and, you know, that's why you had us on the and, show and i i, I kind of want to know where all that's going to go and and where are we gonna what are we going to see from the established um um storylines for through the sundering and where are they going to go and and are they going to branch out and add any new storylines and are we going to see things from other settings and you know there's all these story possibilities that that come partially because fifth edition supports it so well partially because that's sort of the the focus uh, at watsi right now uh and 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 partially just because anytime you sort of have a new edition, there, there's lots of, of story options and where are we going to go next and what are we going to talk about. And so that's sort of what I'm focused on and, and what I'm excited about in the next year is, is where the story is going to take us. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward for the ride. Awesome. Uh, and I think um, that's all of us, right? Yeah. So, so that's the episode. I want to yeah. thank uh, our guest for joining us, Susan Morris. Where can people find you on the Internet? SusanJMorris.com. SusanJMorris.com. Excellent. And Aaron M. Evans, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter as Aaron M. Evans and at SlushLush.com. And Tom Lommel. Everybody already knows where you are because you're internet famous. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, I guess probably the most applicable thing for your audience is to either go to DungeonBaster.com or uh, I'm most active on Twitter right now. Uh, you can just follow me. At, I'm at DungeonBastard. And uh, I give out uh, gaming quotes, uh, serious advice, and then sometimes I just cause trouble. So... <laughs> All right. And I also want to thank all of the listeners out there for supporting the show by shopping at our affiliate links. When you use Amazon or D&D Classics, you get the same great service and the same great price, but we get a little cut for sending you that way. And if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. It's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And don't forget that you can find show notes from this episode as well as other great Tome Show shows over at thetomeshow.com. And that is episode 245, where we sift it through a year of gaming memories to find some real gems, which we quickly use as spell components to conjure a hero's feast in honor of all of you in this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm also wrong.